Welcome back to Throwing Hands. Per usual, it's me, Jacob Janoski, and alongside me, per usual, it's Danny Woods. But we have yet another special guest on today, former LFA middleweight champ, Eric Anders. Eric, how you doing? Man, I'm doing awesome, guys. Thank you for having me. All right, no problem. So we're just going to kick this right off. So you were born on an Air Force base. Um, did this, you know, growing up in a military family, how has that influenced you in your athletic career? Um, I think it kind of instills a little bit more discipline um you know always being where you're supposed to be on time and you know uh just training harder than everybody else working harder than everybody else i think they kind of go hand in hand with the you know military philosophy and lifestyle so you you had a you were had a very successful high school football career and you get recruited to play for the crimson tide you'd worked with nick saban and you what you had a you want to get the national championship in 2009 with texas what have you carried on from Alabama to your MMA career? Um, man, Nick Saban does a really good job of articulating the process and what the process is. And he talks about, you know, the season being a marathon and not a sprint. So, you know, I just kind of took the same approach to my career. Um, I knew where I wanted to go. I just had to map out how to get there. And, uh, you know, a good start for me was, you know, just training really hard, waking up early, going to bed late, and, um, you know, going out there and, being prepared for fights. So after your football career, obviously you finish off your time at Alabama with a national championship. Uh, and then I'm sitting here however many years later watching one of your fights before we even started doing this show. Eric Andrews, Eric, why do I know that name? And I'm like, that's the, the guy from Alabama, the linebacker on that national championship team. Uh, what, what led to the transition to MMA? I, I know you had a, a brief stint as an undrafted free agent with, uh, I believe, the Cleveland Browns, but what led you to transition to MMA after your football career ended? Um, just to be honest, you know, I was kind of bored and, and uh, frustrated with, with, you know, the way things were going. You know, I thought that I was going to, you know, play in the NFL, retire, make millions of dollars, and call it a day. Couldn't be further from what actually happened, so um, – Man, I just wanted to go into a gym, uh, blow off some steam, exercise a little bit. And uh, what better way to blow off steam than punching and kicking stuff. So, I mean, I started out with jujitsu, did that for a little bit. And then uh, my first night going into a gym to, to train, you know, striking and boxing and whatnot, uh, I sparred with Walt Harris and fell in love with the, uh, with the sport right then and there. So, you, you fell in love with the sport. You, get, you had an extensive amateur career. Uh, and then you get off to a very quick 5-0 and start, uh, three knockouts, one sub, and one decision. Then you make the move to Bellator. What was it like moving to a bigger stage after competing on these – after competing on five different local promotions? Well, uh, to, to be honest, man, I thought it would be, like, a great experience and, you know, uh, you know just a little bit different. But uh, to be honest, it really wasn't much different than, you know, being on the local um, uh, show – because 
And when we got there, we realized that, you know, they had the main card fighters and the rest of us that were there to just fill time, you know, while people filled up the arena. I think it was the FedEx Arena in Memphis, that fight. And uh, so, man, they had like maybe 25 fights fighting that night. And uh, whoever fought before the main card started or, you know, whoever hadn't fought, at, you know, when the main card started, they had to fight after the main fight. So my fight was probably fought at like, you know, 11.30, midnight. Uh, and then I just realized that, you know, we were kind of just there to, to, you know, fill time and space. So, you know, and it's all good. I understand, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think I gained like a whole lot of experience. There were a lot of people in the stands and whatnot. So uh, I, would, I would say that was probably the biggest thing. Well, pretty much, uh, obviously, your next fight after uh, that Bellator shot was in LFA, your LFA debut. Uh, it took you just six fights to get there. And then your second fight in the LFA was uh, for the, the inaugural LFA middleweight championship against a guy in Brendan Allen that's in the UFC now as well. Uh, what was that opportunity like? And what was, what was it like for somebody like you? You had an extensive amateur run, but you were still really early in your pro career to have that kind of opportunity so soon. Well, I, I think I did the amateur uh, career right, you know. Uh, when I first started, I was like 250 pounds. So I had to, you know, learn how to cut weight. You know, my body just kind of naturally leaned itself out. And, um, yeah, so when I turned pro, I was ready to turn pro. I was ready for those, you know, for the for the local and regional scene. So you you get this – you win the inaugural LFA middleweight strap against Kyle Allen. What – what was that like knowing that you had gone to such a high level in such a short time? Um, man, it was awesome. You know, whenever you win, it's validation for all your hard work and, you know, everything that you went through and put in uh, to get to there, to get there and, and to fight. So, you know, obviously winning is always the, you know, what you want to do, but leaving with the, you know, with the belt and being the man in the division is, you know, a little icing on the cake. So after that fight, you go into your first UFC bout against Rafael Natal. Uh, you get that win. What was it like stepping into the octagon for the first time? Um, man, to be honest, you know, I was like a little bit nervous walking in there. And then as soon as my feet touched the canvas and I stepped into the octagon, you know, I, I just knew and felt, you know, a uh, confidence that I had never felt up until that point. So... Man, I knew as soon as I got in there that I was going to win that fight and I was going to knock him out. Uh, I just felt, like, so comfortable. I don't know. It's like as soon as I realized um, it wasn't like that canvas, that vinyl canvas uh, that we fought on, you know, in the regional circuit and as as an amateur and early pro, it gets turned into a slip and slide after a while. And once I knew that my feet were going to grip the canvas, uh, I I just knew that I was going to win. So after that fight against Natal, you get another win against Marcus Perez. And then in your 11th career professional fight, you're in a UFC fight night main event against Lyoto Machida. Uh, before, before going into that fight, uh, what was your mentality taking that kind of step forward uh, after just 10 pro fights? Um, man, you know, I, I thought I was invincible. I thought I was going to land my left hand, knock him out. He'd been knocked out, I think, three times. You know, it's three previous fights before that. So, um, I was like oozing confidence. And, uh, man, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go in there and and, and, uh, knock them out. 
So what, what did you take away from that fight that you learned? I mean, fighting a legend like Lyoto Machida must have, you must have taken a lot of uh, uh, pointers away from that fight. What did you learn? Um, man, really the way that the judges score fights, you know, I, I never thought, uh, even thought to point fight or anything like that. You know, I, my objective was to go out there and get a finish every rep. Um, but I, you know, I kind of see how the, how the judges score fights and what they look for. And, you know, I, I was doing a lot of following instead of cutting off Machida. Um, you know, I had him hurt a bunch of times and went to start wrestling instead of stepping back and throwing strikes. So I, mean, I took, I took a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of lessons out of that fight. So after that uh, loss against Machida, you lose three out of four. What did you learn from these uh, losses to get back on track now that you won two out of your last three? Uh, you know, fail, failure isn't fatal, you know. They, uh, the UFC gave me another shot after those three losses, and, um, you know, I, I've won two out of the last three now, and, uh, man, you just got to keep fighting, man. You know, it's not over till it's over, and, you know, just keep fighting. So the, I want to talk about the one win that you did have before that losing streak against uh, against Tim Williams after the Machida fight. I mean, you knocked him out with just a, a brutal head kick in, in that fight. Uh, if you could break down what you were seeing as that finish came around and what led to that knockout. Yeah, there were several times during the fight where he had been on his back. And, uh, you know, I'd be standing up on top of him. And, uh, man, he would always kick or, or do something to kind of make me step back to uh, make some space to do that technical stand-up. But that last time, I don't know if he was in a rush because there was only 20 seconds left in the fight or, or, or what, but uh, he didn't make that space. He tried to just stand straight up, and you know, I saw my opportunity and took it. So you, after, after that three-fight losing streak, you get the win against Mohara, and then you move back down to middleweight to fight uh, Gerald Mearshart. What went into that uh, going back down into middleweight? I, I just think I'm, I'm more of a middleweight than I am a uh, light heavyweight, you know. Uh, stature, stature-wise, uh, weight-wise, and uh, I think I'm a little bit more durable and middleweight. And so, for me, you know, fighting guys that have been doing this forever, uh, sometimes you got to take it a little bit before you get an opportunity to to get off. So, um, yeah, I like middleweight better than two or five. So, going into this matchup with Christoph Jocko, you were one of the first uh, three events, if I'm not mistaken, to come back during this COVID pandemic. What was that preparation like going into that fight? Uh, yeah, to be honest, you know, we didn't we didn't stop at all. You know, I kept training all through the the quarantine, and you know, people would call the police on us, and we'd have to leave the gym, but then we'd come back, and we just change up the times that we tra- that we trained, and you know, uh, you know, quarantine really didn't affect us too bad because, uh, like I said, we just kept it moving anyways. So you you take you you unfortunately lose against Christoph Jocko, and so what what are you looking for your next fight? When do you think that's going to come along? I don't know. Um, we'll see what the UFC offers me, and you know whenever they call, you know they tell me, and I, I show up. So uh, Ed mentioned to me that you're going to be an analyst for the CFFC. Um, what? How did that come to be? Um. Man, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure. You know, John Morgan, the MMA junkie analyst, uh, usually does it. But for whatever reason, I guess because um, the UFC, he's over there with the with the UFC guys. 
uh, he, he couldn't make it. So they're in Mississippi. Uh, I live in Alabama. So, you know, I fought. The CFFC bought a promotion that I used to fight for as an amateur and, and uh, once or twice as a pro. And so when they, you know, told uh, Nick Harmeyer that they needed somebody to do the, the commentary, it threw my name in the hat and they gave me a call and, uh, you know, I got in the car and came over. So just looking back at the perspective uh, of your MMA career to the point to where uh, six years ago uh, you were finishing up your football career, essentially just trying to figure out what, what you were doing. And now uh, six years from that time, you're in the UFC, you're 13 and five, you're a, a guy that people know is a force to be reckoned with. What kind of perspective have you been able to look back over kind of your meteoric rise uh, into the, the biggest promotion in the world. And to be honest, you know, uh, I just never really gave up, you know, and never took no for an answer. So they told me I couldn't play football. I wasn't going to make it playing football. You know, I found another avenue because sitting at a desk, you know, all day or, you know, I, I did a bunch of other jobs. Um, you know, it was terrible. You know, for me, it was torture to, you know, be sitting down all day and, and doing stuff like that. You know, I'm an active guy. I like to be up, moving, bouncing around. And, uh, you know, now I essentially, you know, work out all day and train. So I'm, I'm living the life. Who, uh, who are the main driving forces in your MMA career? Who inspires you to go out there every day and, you know, get the job done? Uh, I inspire me, you know. I, you know, a lot of people, a lot of fighters say that they do this for their family, their kids, blah, blah, blah. But, man, for me, I, I love this. I enjoy it. Um, it's never a chore for me to get up out of bed in the morning to go train, you know. So uh, I think as long as I have that passion and stuff, uh, I'm going to keep doing it. All right. Uh, Dan, you got anything else? I'm all set, man. All right, Eric, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you guys can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Eric Anders, E-R-Y-K-A-N-D-E-R-S. Well, Eric, we, we appreciate you coming on the show, man. We always love having guests on. Man, thank you guys. Anytime. All right. For Daniel Woods, I'm Jacob Janoski. Uh, Eric Anders, everybody. All right. Well, uh, Eric Anders, pretty cool guy, but we're going to get in some news. What do you have, Daniel? Uh, well, a couple things. Uh, number one, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Tony Ferguson versus Dustin Poirier. That fight ended up not coming together. Uh, there were hopes that that would be on the card at UFC 254, uh, which is obviously going to be uh, headlined by uh, Habib Nurmagomedov versus uh, Justin Gaethje for the lightweight title. Uh, there was some speculation uh, that Ferguson uh, would potentially fight Michael Chandler, who was just signed out of Bellator and is going to be the backup for that title fight. Uh, that is not going to happen. Uh, there were some rumors that that's the fight that was actually offered to Tony Ferguson. Dana White uh, was confident that that fight was going to happen. Uh, but that's not going to happen. And the way that it looks is unless one of those guys drops out of the lightweight title fight, Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson, neither one are going to fight at UFC 254, uh, which for me is just really disappointing because one, you want to see Michael Chandler get in the octagon as soon as possible. And two, Tony Ferguson is one of my favorite guys to watch in the UFC. Yeah, I, I'm disappointed too. I mean, you can't, whenever Tony Ferguson's on, you got to turn on the television. It, it's must watch. I mean, if you like if you like violence, he's the guy you want to see. And, you know, I don't know. I just wish they'd give him a good fight. I wish that Poirier fight panned out. And I think they should pay Poirier more. I said that yesterday, I think. And 
I don't know. They all they all deserve to be paid more, but that's the fight we all want to see, and they have they should make it happen. What else you got? Uh, Kevin Holland is a guy that we've talked about a lot on this show because he's fought a lot in 2020. He's a guy that I really like moving forward as a middleweight. Uh, he's going to fight Darren Stewart this weekend. Uh, so he's not necessarily looking past Darren Stewart, uh, but he did say uh, on, on What the Heck, which is uh, an M- a show produced by MMAfighting.com, uh, that the next step he would want to take after a potential win over Darren Stewart would be taking on Marvin Vittori, which I think that would be a great fight. Those are two guys that have looked really good in 2020, two guys that I really like as well. So I think if Holland can get past Stewart, he's definitely looking at a spot in the top 15, and a matchup with Marvin Vittori would probably vault him into a top 10 position and the potential for even more in early 2021. Yeah, I think I'm just worried that he's overlooking Darren Stewart when it comes to this yeah. fight. I mean, Darren Stewart's no slouch by any means. He he's one of the most he's one of the better strikers in the middleweight division, especially when it comes to the the weight behind his hands. So I would like to see a Marvin Vittori Kevin Holland fight. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, Kevin, I mean, Vittori can compete with the best of him. He could have won that fight against Adesanya, but I don't know. It's it's it'll be interesting to see what uh, pans out after Saturday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's interesting because Holland's kind of been chasing Vittori for a little while now. And Vittori is actually trying to get a fight with Chris Weidman, which would just be really interesting, I think, because uh, Weidman, obviously a former champion, just a wily veteran at this point in his career. And Vittori's a guy with a lot of flash, especially when the fight goes to the ground. And Weidman, as we know, one of the best wrestlers that mixed martial arts has ever seen. So it doesn't seem like there's a lot of momentum going in that way. So if Marvin Vittori is looking for a fight and Kevin Holland wins on Saturday, I would love to see that happen. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any any MMA uh, hardcore MMA 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 fan would deny that they would want to see that fight. Um, anything else? Uh, nothing huge. We talked about Michael Chandler. Kevin Lee thinks he's too small for the UFC. So, no, well, something that maybe Michael Chandler's first fight, and I do not envy Kevin Lee if that happens. That, that's that's the fight. I think that's the fight to make, honestly. Probably. I mean, I Kevin Lee's been running his mouth for years, <laughs> yeah. so it doesn't surprise me that he says something like that. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't have anything else. What you got? Yeah, that covers my headlines. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Throne Hands. You can catch us on uh, any anywhere you want to find podcasts. Just look up Throne Hands and on Twitter at Throne Hands Pod. Daniel, thanks for coming back. Yes, sir. Anytime. All right, and we will see you guys for. Um, the review of Fight Night, uh, Covington versus Woodley. Peace out, y'all.